Welcome to the weekly message from Albert Park Baptist Church, a community of believers seeking to love God, love one another and love our neighbourhood right in the heart of Melbourne. We hope you find today's message inspiring. We're in Luke chapter 6, uh, verse 12 to the end of chapter 6, which is verse 49, and it says this. One of those days, and that day is the Sabbath, a day of rest. So on the Sabbath, one of those days, Jesus went up to a mountainside to pray, and he spent the whole night in prayer to God. When morning came, he called his disciples to him, and he chose 12 of them who he also designated apostles. That's like special messengers. Uh, Simon, whom he named Peter, his brother Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, who was called a zealot, which means he's kind of a nationalist uh, political kind of leaning. Uh, Judas, son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. And so we've done all that, and then Jesus went down with them off the mountain and stood on a level place. And a large crowd of his disciples was there, and a great number of people from all over Judea, from Jerusalem and from the coastal region around Tyre and Sidon who had come to hear Jesus and to be healed of their diseases. Those troubled by impure spirits were cured, and the people all tried to touch him because power was coming from him and healing them all. Looking at his disciples, he said this, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of me. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy because great is your reward in heaven, for that is how their ancestors treated the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when everyone speaks well of you, for that is how their ancestors treated the false prophets. But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who ill-treat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, don't prevent them from taking your shirt as well. Give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, Don't ask for it to be returned. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back, then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. 
He also told them a parable, which is like a story. Can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into a pit? The student is not above the teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher. Why do you look at a speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank of wood in your own one? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when you yourself fail to see the plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's. No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. A good person brings good things out of the good stored up in their heart, and an evil person brings evil things out of the evil stored up in their heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do what I say? As for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, I will show you what they're like. They're like a, a person building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. When the flood came, the torrent struck that house but could not shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like the person who builds their house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed and its destruction was complete. So let's just pray as we get into this. Come, Holy Spirit. Father, we ask you this morning that you would just speak clearly into our circumstance, wherever we're at today. Thank you that you give us a picture of what your kingdom will look like in these verses. It's an upside-down, inside-out, loop-to-loop kingdom, completely different to the way our world works. And yet this morning you're teaching us something about your heart. And so I pray, Lord, that our hearts might be open to hear from yours today. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see and mind to conceive, hearts that are open to you. And God, I pray that the words that come out of my mouth will be useful helpful. God, I pray that you would do what only you can do to make things grow. pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So as I said, as I was reading that before, uh, Jesus is on the Sabbath at the start of this, which we talked about last time is a day of rest. It's a day to stop. And most of us don't like stopping. But in this day and age, and with the Jewish faith particularly, they took an entire day off to rest, and they had rules around it. And so here is Jesus on this day of rest, and he goes up to a mountainside to pray. And he spends the entire night praying to God there. And when morning comes, he calls his disciples. There's a whole crowd of people who've started following him by this point, and he calls this whole crowd of people to him, and he chooses 12. He chooses 12 out of this whole entire crowd, and I'm not going to read the names again. But he chose them to be his spokespeople, to be his messengers, to be the special envoy of the kingdom to the rest of the nation of Israel and to essentially the region around there. And what I want to point out, first of all, is this is a really good way of choosing leaders. To spend the whole night praying. Or to spend a considerable amount of time praying and discerning. You don't just point to someone and say, you're it. And I just want to encourage you, that's something we do here as a church 
that we don't just appoint leaders. We, we pray and discern and we do things like that. And so Jesus has discerned who are the right people, and so they're there. And he goes down with these 12, and he stands on a level place, and a large crowd of his disciples are there. So the guys who weren't picked, the girls and the guys who weren't picked are there, and also are there is a great number of people from all over the local area. And it lists it from Jerusalem and from the coastal region around Tyre and Sidon. And they came for two reasons, to hear what Jesus had to say and to be healed of their various illnesses. So they came to hear him and to be healed. And those troubled by impure spirits were cured, we read, and all the people tried to touch him, which seems like a strange thing to us, but they all tried to touch him because power was coming from him and healing them all. It's a hard thing to imagine that all of a sudden you touch some guy's cloak and you're healed. But this is what is happening in this particular moment. And then Jesus looks around and starts speaking or teaching. Now, what I want us to note here is two things in this first part. The first thing is how different this is from the world that we live in, how different the priorities are, that what is blessing, according to Jesus, we would consider woe in our world. That's the first thing. And secondly, there is a sharp contrast between those who are blessed and those who are not cursed, but those who are pitied. Yeah, there's a sharp contrast. So two things. Firstly, to the people who are blessed, blessed are you who are poor. There's nobody saying that on the Today Show in the morning on Channel 7 or whatever it is. Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. So there's blessing because there's an inheritance, is what Jesus is saying. He continues, blessed are you who hunger now. I don't think those who are hungry feel very blessed. And yet Jesus is making a point. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. He's saying you might hunger now, but there's something coming that is going to bring satisfaction to you. Again, blessed are you who weep now. Again, if you're grieving, you don't necessarily think that's a blessing, but there's something coming, Jesus says, for you will Laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil, which means literally they just like um, write you off as a person. Did you hear about so and so? They're a Christian now. Don't hang out with those people, you know? But blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject you because of me. Rejoice in that day. That's the day that people hate you and exclude you and reject you and leap for joy because great is your reward in heaven. For that is how their ancestors treated the prophets. So we've got this blessing that is really not a blessing in our day and age. So notice that. And then he shifts. But woe or but pity to you who are rich. And Luke will use that word rich a stack from this point on. He's, he's not talking about necessarily material wealth. He is talking about that. But he's talking more about a preoccupation with getting more wealth is what he's referring to. So he's saying, pity on you who think that wealth is the answer is essentially what he's saying. For you have already received your comfort. You've already got the thing that you're aiming at, you know. Pity on you who are well fed now. You're going to go hungry. Pity on you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. Pity on you when everyone speaks well of you, 
Again, that's what we all want. How to win friends and influence people was written for that exact purpose, you know? But that is how their ancestors treated the false prophets. He's making a point here. That there's blessing and there's pity, not the way that the world works. And so it continues, and this is where it gets pretty real for most of us. But to you who are still listening, which I think he's wondering if people have zoned out by this point, it was pretty harsh so far. But to you who are listening, I say, love your best friend. That's not what he says. Love your son is not what he says. Love your neighbor is not what he says. Love your enemy. Enemy. And in this day and age, that Greek word means adversary. The person who's got it in for you. You can talk about it in a military sense. You can talk about it in a workplace sense. You can talk about it in a relational sense. But love the person who's got it in for you, who doesn't want what's best for you. And that word love is not like a romantic love or a friendship love. Just be mates with them. It'll be all good. It's the word agape. It's God's love, the sacrificial love. We're saying sacrificially love the person who has it in for you. That is very countercultural. He continues. As if we need explanation of how to do that. Do good to those who hate you. Okay. Bless, as in wish well of, those who curse you. Pray for those who ill-treat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. Very countercultural. If someone slaps me on the cheek, I'm running the other way, you know? Give to everyone. Oh, sorry. If someone takes your coat, literally don't prevent them from taking your shirt either. Don't prevent them. Don't try and stop them. Don't talk them out of it. Just hand it over. Give to everyone who asks you. And if anybody takes what belongs to you, don't ask for it to be returned. Very countercultural. Do to others as you would have them do to you. Which seems out of place. But Jesus is making the point that if you're someone in need, which is why they're doing these desperate things, then what would you want someone to do for you? If you love those who love you, what credit or literally how is it commendable to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. And then he repeats it because he, he knows how crazy this is. But love your enemies. Sacrificially love the people who are against you. Do good to them and lend to them without expecting anything. Just for a second, hopefully all of us in this room don't have someone who wants us to go things to go badly for us, but there might be someone here who has someone who's just got in for you. Just picture that person in the midst of this. For me, one of the challenges, and we talked about this at Young Adults the other day, our Young Adults small group, um, we we're talking about evil, and we mentioned the Ukraine crisis and different things, and uh, what our responsibility is as Christians. And one of the things that we get directly out of this passage is this idea of sacrificially loving our enemies. What does that look like when you've got clowns like Putin and other people doing clearly evil 
horrible things in the world. And then filter that down to all the various different other people and then even to ourselves. Jesus continues, Then, if we do all this, then your reward will be great and you will be children of the Most High because he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful just as your father is merciful. What's he saying? He's saying, you're one of my kids if this is the way that you live. He's not saying do these 10 things and then you'll be one of my kids. He's saying, as you live out who you are as my child, these things are just going to naturally occur. You know, if I am kind to the ungrateful and wicked, you're going to be someone who's kind to the ungrateful and wicked. It's just an outflow of who I am is who you are. It's why uh, the way that Ava talks, my five-year-old daughter, is generally the way that I talk. She uses words that I use. She treats people the way that I treat them. She likes things like ice cream that I like, you know? He continues, do not judge, which we all do, if we're honest. We all make those subtle com- have those subtle conversations with our friends or with our spouses or with our work colleagues. Did you hear about so-and-so and what they did? You know, we all do this. He's saying, don't judge, and you won't be judged. Don't condemn, and you won't be condemned. Forgive, and you'll be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. And I just want to explain what he's about to say. A good measure pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into a lap. It's imagery of when you used to go to the market and you used to get grain kind of poured into the part of your shirt here. Just imagine a measuring cup for a second. What Jesus is saying is that with the measure that you judge, you're going to be judged. And with the measure that you condemn, you'll be condemned. The measure you forgive, you'll be forgiven. The measure that you give is what will be given to you, is what he's saying. He also told him a parable. Can a blind lead the blind? Well, it's a rhetorical question. Obviously, the blind can't lead the blind. Will they not both fall into a pit? Probably. If there's a pit to fall into, they're probably going to fall into it because they can't see it. The student is not above the teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? Now, whenever I read this, I just picture a guy with a massive plank of two by four hanging out of his eye, walking around. And just not noticing it. You know, just walking around whacking into things, which is the reality of life. When someone's got something going on in their life that's destructive, they're going to cause problems for other people. And Jesus is saying, you know what, you look at the little issue that someone's got in their life, maybe they're judgmental, maybe they're whatever, and yet over here you've got this character flaw that's smacking into people and causing problems. And Jesus is saying, you know what, how can you say to them, let me take the speck out of your eye when you yourself fail to see the plank in your own? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from theirs. Jesus is starting to talk about character now. He's starting to talk about what's going on in here. And he's going to continue that. No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. He's talking about the nature of who we are now. Each tree is recognized by its fruit. People don't pick figs 
from thorn bushes. It might be blackberries potentially, but not figs. Or grapes from briars. A good person brings good things out of the good stored in their heart, a brain or intentions, heart. And an evil person brings evil things out of the evil stored in their hearts. For the mouth speaks with the heart is full of. So often in our culture, people make a comment like, I didn't intend to do X. Well, the reality is you did intend to do X because that's what's going on inside you. And that's a countercultural thing that Jesus is saying. He's saying there's messed up, broken things going on in you, which is why you're saying messed up and broken things and doing messed up and broken things. Jesus continues, why do you call me Lord, Lord, or Master, Master, and don't do what I say? As for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, I will show you what they're like. They're like a man building a house. We dug down deep and laid foundation on the rock. When the flood came, the torrent struck that house but could not shake it because it was well built. Now the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like someone who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed and its destruction was complete. Now we've had a very practical example of this during the New South Wales and Queensland floods. If you look at the news, most of those houses, while the inside of them is completely decimated, most of them are standing because they have foundations. There are a few that aren't because they're built on floodplains or dodgy kind of soil. There's too much sand where they are or whatever it is. And so you've got a practical example here of what Jesus is talking about. But for me, when I think of rock, I just imagine... A rock, an everyday rock that you see anywhere. And you're making comparison, like, what is this rock? It's hard, solid, it's not pliable, it's not going to fall away. If you build something into here, it's not going to move. Maybe not into this exactly, but compare that to this. That's going to move. You know, and if you build a house on this, or in Jesus' example, a life on something this flimsy, when the flood comes, when the trial comes, when the temptation comes, there goes the life, you know? Another way of thinking about this is painting. You might have noticed the church has been painted. Um, Jesus talks about application here. Is your life like paint in a tin or paint on a wall? It's no use in the tin. You know? It's a lot of use on the wall. The application makes all the difference, is what Jesus is saying. You know, you can set up the greatest ladders and scaffolding system in the world. You can have all the drop sheets down, the right painting clothes. You can find the exact right color that matches the windows and the lights. And it's just, everything's perfect. The interior thing's fully designed. And yet, until the paint's on the wall, it's a waste of time. Waste of money, too. Until the paint's on the wall, it doesn't make a difference. And what Jesus is pointing to is application, making all the difference. That so you can sit in church or sit in small group or sit in life. But until 
we start putting one foot in front of the other, it's not gonna make a difference. You know, our character's not gonna change. We're not gonna become more loving people. And that might be harsh. Final example. Uh, when I was teaching our daughter, five-year-old daughter Ava, to play with Duplo, the first thing I taught her was to build a strong foundation. And she realized why pretty fast. Like she loves to build towers that are like single blocks that just kind of reach the roof. Well, they always fall over. You can just like blow them over with your breath, you know. But after a while, she got really frustrated with that. And so she's like, well, how do we keep it up? And I'm just like, well, you just well, got to build wide, strong foundations, you know. And then this thing's going to hit the roof and you're going to be fine. It's going to be hard to blow it over. And so that's what we started doing. And so if I ask her now, what's the first thing we do? She knows, build strong foundations. Because then when the storm hits, or the breath, or whatever it is, or your brother kind of storming in to knock it over, it's hopefully going to stay longer than two seconds, you know? And that's Jesus' point here. That application makes all the difference, and that building a foundation is what makes the difference here as well. So the question that I feel in all of these things is, that Jesus is asking is, where is your heart at? It's not where's your head at. You can know all this. You can quote all this. So you go blue in the face. But are you someone who does it or not? And I love what Jesus says here. He says in verse 35, Then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful just as your father is merciful. He's not saying do all of these things so that you will be my kids. He's saying you are my kids and as I am doing these things, so you are going to continue to look more and more like doing these things. It's not a do 10 things, so I'm going to love you. It's a you are my children and this is what I'm hoping that you will lead to. And so there's an invitation for two things this morning. The first is to follow him. I love that the invitation from Jesus is not believe him first. It's follow me. Follow me. Check me out. See if what I'm saying is actually legit. You know? See if it actually does lead to where I say it leads. See if I'm trustworthy. Follow me. That's maybe your invitation today, to follow him. And the other invitation today might be about our hearts. But if our hearts aren't, merciful and kind to the ungrateful and the wicked, that we might need some heart alteration there because our Heavenly Father is merciful and kind to the ungrateful and the wicked like us. I heard a quote the other day, and I shared it with men's group, but the quote is simply this, that the church or the Christian fellowship is the only kind of body in the world where the one determining factor is the unworthiness of the candidate. That's the entry point. And so God's saying, if you're not kind to the ungrateful and the wicked, then you need to check yourself because that is the one entry point to this whole thing. That I came because you are unworthy and wicked. And so if you can't get on board with that, with the unworthy and the wicked in the world, then it's time to get on board. Let's pray.
Father, I pray that you would speak and have been speaking in this moment, Lord. It feels like a harsh sermon, honestly. And yet often you speak harsh truth because it shakes our hearts. Lord, if someone stabbed us with a knife, I'd say that's a crime. But when a surgeon cuts into us, it's for healing purposes. And so, Father, while this may feel to some like a stab in the chest, I just pray that we might see the fact that there's a surgeon at work for us. Father, you're molding us and that you're shaping us to become more like your son. That the world that is unworthy and wicked might know that there's a God who loves them anyway. Father, for those who you're inviting today to follow you, I just pray that your spirit would be prompting them, even in this moment, to take that one step towards you. And Father, for many of us here who you might be convicting today around an area of our heart that is not in line with where you're at, help us be open, Lord, to what you want to do in that. Help us see ourselves with your eyes. Help us see the plank that we got going on. Help us not be judgmental, but help us see people and see ourselves as you see us, as loved children of God. May that inform every single part of our identity. Pray these things in Jesus' name. If today's message evoked anything in you and you'd like to talk or pray with one of our pastors, please get in touch by phone or email. All of our details can be found at albertpark.org.au. We worship together in person 10am every Sunday at 115 Kerford Road, Albert Park. All are welcome. We look forward to seeing you soon.